It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko. He's your host, James Rapine. Today, we're joined by Pro Football Focus's Brad Spielberger at PFF underscore Brad on Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, free and available everywhere you get your podcast. Thanks for hitting that subscribe button, that follow button if you're on YouTube or on an audio platform making sure we're delivered to your eyes and ears first thing every day. And Brad, welcome to the show. Gave you a lot of credit in the free agency period for getting a lot of these contracts dead on. And after Lyle Collins was released, I remember I DM'd you and I'm like, Brad, is it possible to do a projection for Collins in this situation where he gets cut and everything's kind of weird? You don't have the chance to get a feel for his market at the combine, et cetera. When you saw the number initially reported at 30 million, now we've seen it further reported on over the cap at 21 million. What were your first impressions, starting with the Bengals' potentially most impactful signing of the free agency period at 21 million over three years with very little in the way of guarantees for Lyle Collins? Yeah, well, first off, I do appreciate you did shout out the uh, the PFF contracts a bunch, so that was much appreciated. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a great deal. Like, like you said, we talked about it even at 3:30, which is what was remaining on his Cowboys contract. So if they hypothetically sent, you know, a day three pick to get him, they would have inherited a three year, $30 million contract. So to be patient, to wait that out, even though probably a couple teams were in the mix there. And then not only is it three years, 21 million, but there's a lot of that compensation tied to per game roster bonuses, which for folks that don't know is basically if you're on the active roster on game days, you then get another chunk of money. And so, you know, if he misses time, you know, he's been suspended in the past and, you know, things like that, they protect themselves. So it is a, a good deal and a good structure on top of that. As far as his deal versus the other deals they made with these other, let's just stick with the offensive line because the Bengals have never spent at guard. It seems like Clint Bowling, I think, was their biggest contract they had given to a guard. They go out and get Alex Kappa. They get Ted Karras. What did you think about those deals and the value they got? And, And how does that stack up or compare to the Collins contract? Yeah, I think both good deals as well. Um, I was a, a touch higher on Alex Kappa, so I think it's a fair contract. I know he's not a, a world beater. Um, you know, comes from a small school, has gotten better each year in Tampa. I thought last year he showed kind of a better ability against strong, kind of bull rushing interior defensive linemen. Just has gotten his anchor down a bit better. Um, you know, and I think he's a good fit in the offense as well. He, he's athletic in space. Um, again, maybe not like the most athletic guy, but I think he can work in this this wide zone system. And then Karras is a good deal, but I will also say it's a great deal for the player. But the thing there is his versatility is so valuable. And I think the reason he finally cashed in when he's had some good seasons in the past, starting at center, playing a thousand snaps and, you know, grading pretty well and also just in public, you know, being perceived pretty well. But to play almost a full season at left guard last year for the Patriots to still play very well, 
shows that he can kind of be moved around where you need to put him. Um, so a good deal for both parties for that one. When you compare the Terran Armstead deal, which we can all acknowledge was a, a bargain price for a guy as good as Terran Armstead when he's on the field. He's also missed a lot of time over the course of his career, is on the wrong side of 30, a few years older than Lyle Collins, a couple of years, I should say, older than Lyle Collins. I, I DM'd you as soon as the three years, 21 million became known to us and asked, how, how does this stack up to the Terran Armstead signing? Because I, I think that was one that got an elite grade from the PFF free agency grader. And so two questions here. One, was it you doing the grades? And two, how, how does that stack up? Is that close at all? Because I think to Bengals fans who are expecting Collins to come in and be potentially a top, I don't know, seven, top five right tackle in the NFL for $7 million a year. I know it's still the 10th highest contract at right tackle, but what... I guess third question, what is it with the NFL not paying right tackles? Yeah, so uh, it was me and a couple other folks. I'll shout out Ben Lindsay is another uh, one guy who was doing a ton of those, probably more than anyone, those those grades as deals came in. Um, I mean, the thing with the Toronto Armstead deal is, yes, he's missed some time here and there, but, I mean, he is a blue-chip left tackle, one of the better players at that position, and it's just so rare for those guys to reach the market at all. Um, you know, I, I think with Collins, it's more of, I mean, look, he got cut after a good season, you know, for a reason. There's probably some question marks there. He has missed time for not just injury, but again, also suspension and, and things like that. So, look, both are elite contracts. If we were grading cap casualty, you know, deals, that one would have gotten an elite grade as well, I promise. No matter who was putting in the grade, I would have would have made sure it got an elite. But I just think with Armstead, it's like I said, it's just you're going to overpay in free agency. That's the nature of unrestricted free agency. Um, and I'm just surprised that deal came in. I mean, I mean, folks around the league, I talked to multiple people at teams and agencies. Like, oh, yeah, he'll get 20 million a year, not 25, you know, but just he'll get his 20. He'll go on with that, whatever. So for them to get 15 per year on a five year deal is just a slam dunk. As far as, and you mentioned it, free agency, you have to overpay. In the Bengals, they were able to keep one of their key guys in B.J. Hill. How did that stack up? Because I know once Larry Ogunjobi agreed to terms with the Bears, everybody uh, you know that, that was rooting for the Bengals got a little nervous at what B.J. Hill could make, and they got him at that three years, 30 million, 15 in the first year. What did you think about that contract? Yeah, it's a good deal. Again, it's a touch above where I had it, but you know, if it's within a small range, it's it's kind of the same to me. I think I had him getting eight and a half or eight point seven five per year. Um, look, it's definitely a great deal. I mean, he goes from getting traded for you know Billy Price, who I don't need to expand on, you know, on a Bengals podcast, you know, and I thought that trade was fascinating because he was the guy who actually came with the seventh round pick attached to him, not the other way. I think part of that is just because your draft status never leaves you. Um, and BJ Hill was, a, I think, a mid to late third round pick versus obviously the first rounder and Billy Price, but. But for him to go from kind of being perceived as that, and look, the Giants have a, you know, if you want to name one position group they're great at, it's the interior of the defensive line. So they had a lot of guys, and, and he was the odd man out. But to turn that into a three-year, $30 million deal is a great deal for him. But again, you're not breaking the bank. He is still, you know, DJ Reader is the dude in that unit, um, is still compensated as such. I, I think it's a fine deal and, and a great way to show, you know, the club, like come in here, work hard, and, and be productive, and, and you'll get rewarded. My last question about the Bengals' early free agency activity is Jesse Bates ends up on the franchise tag at this point, seeing what his agent has done elsewhere, and we'll talk about that impact and the impact it might have on Joe Burrow's future contract. What do you think 
is the holdup from, from your perspective, knowing what you know about the way the Bengals do contracts, knowing what you know about the agent, it, it seems like at this point, what was previously something that we all assumed would get done covering the Bengals and Jesse Bates and that contract extension looks like he might play on the franchise tag this year. He might play on the franchise tag next year if they want to keep him an extra year. Is it simply guarantees? Yeah, so this is a great point. So, you know, you're obviously alluding to David Mulageta, who, for folks who don't know, basically reps every high-paid safety in the NFL. Like, it's – I've written about this before. There's not an agent that has that much control over a position market where literally every top player is his guy. Um, and, and so I do think that's part of it. That's part of the equation. But I think the bigger thing is – and this goes back to last offseason – but I think Cincinnati had a window to get a deal done – they kind of, you know, waited around a little bit, and then the Jamal Adams contract came through. And yes, his deal is inflated because he was traded for two first-round picks, so all that extra leverage boosts the value. But he changes the entire marketplace at the position, regardless. And so I think since he probably tried to go back to them, and they said, "Look, we're in a new market now. Like the offer that was on the table before is no longer an offer we're even considering because the, the you know, the environment has changed." And so. Now, I think where they're at is I actually thought there was a very interesting and accurate article from Pro Football Talk. Basically, we'll get into the structure of Bengals contracts a bit, but two franchise tags for Jesse Bates is about what a guaranteed amount would be if he signed a multi-year deal elsewhere. That's kind of what the guarantees would be. So the argument is he probably should just play on two franchise tags unless they are willing to go against their precedent and guarantee him more money. So... I think maybe there's a possibility it gets done. Maybe they find a way to come back to the table and figure it out, and Jesse Bates gets his payday. Um, but it's going to be a hard bargain. I mean, they're not going to settle. They're not going to take a discount deal. You know, I think he likes Cincy, but it, the whole hometown discount and all that stuff, I think, is more a fan reality that, than an actual you know player contract reality. Speaking of discounts, will Joe Burrow take a hometown discount? We'll dive into that. T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, their future in Cincinnati next. But first... I have to tell you about Built Bars, the number one protein bar on the planet. High in protein, low in sugar, low in calories, perfect for you. So whether you're like Brad and you're breaking down NFL contracts or, or you're just sitting at home watching the Locked On Bengals podcast on YouTube, Built Bar is the bar you need to get. It's going to help you whether you need a midday protein punch. Maybe it's a protein punch after your workout. Just check them out right now at Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15. You're going to get 15% off your order. Again, for 15% off the number one protein bar on the planet, go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about the future for the Bengals. The future for the Bengals will include an extension for Joe Burrow and contracts that will come due for T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, both of whom look like they are going to be very high-quality wide receivers in the NFL, if not, in the case of Jamar Chase specifically, the best receiver in the NFL if things go a certain way. You look around the NFL, and Deshaun Watson has signed a fully guaranteed contract for the first time in the history of the league. 
with the highest guarantees on a contract in the history of the league at $230 million. You look at the wide receiver market, and Tyreek Hill has signed a $30 million per year deal. I, I guess it's not it's up to 30, perhaps. I, I might be slightly wrong there, but Devontae Adams, 28 million, DeAndre Hopkins, 27 million. And then a big fall off to DJ Moore at 20.5 million or so. That sounds like a lot of money for the Bengals to lock up in three players. Do you think that these, with the way we're expecting the salary cap to continue growing, do you think these trends are going to hold true for the next couple of years? Yeah, it's pretty crazy when you lay it out. It's basically, it's going to be close to, if not more than $100 million per year for three players. um, If they do elect to, you know, extend all those guys. Um, You know, I would say we'll start with the quarterback. So the structure there is is a league-changing structure to go a full five years of full guarantees. Kirk Cousins obviously was kind of infamous for getting that fully guaranteed three-year deal. Um, and Watson pushes it, you know, to a different stratosphere, um, you know, about $150 million more than Kirk Cousins' contract as well. So, you know, I think the Bengals are going to be able to shift back towards the Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen structure, which is basically – Two years before a particular season, the money will become guaranteed. It was called rolling guarantees. So, for example, for Burrow, like his 2026 money would become guaranteed in 2024. And I think they'll, they'll, they'll approach it that way. But I'm sure him and his agent were happy to see that Watson deal come through. Um, and, and they're looking to, to sign a massive favorable, player favorable contract. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard not to let that impact you. I mean, the guy is in your division. And without, you know, going down a rabbit hole, you know, he did that with all those things going around him, whereas Joe Burrow seems like a model citizen and just a, you know, a guy that everyone is rooting for. So, yes, those trends are definitely continuing, if not going to, you know, expand. As for wide receiver, definitely some funny money in those deals, which is good news for the Bengals. The Tyree Kill deals for about $24, $25 million per year, and the Devontae Adams deals for about $22.5, $23 million per year. So, it's not as crazy of a change as, as we expected them to make. You know, Devontae Adams, it sounded like he wanted to actually sign a deal for $28 plus million per year. He kind of didn't. Um, still, though, I mean, Jamar Chase could sign a legitimate contract for $30 million per year in two offseasons, um, which sounds crazy, but, I mean, it's it's within the realm of possibilities. Yeah, it's it's scary when you, you put it like that, I think, to a lot of people that are, are thinking about this trio staying together. But let's – focus a little more on Burrow, Brad, because if I'm Joe Burrow and you, you kind of hit on it a little bit, but if, if I see Deshaun Watson, a guy who I think I'm better than anyway, and I'm three and one in the playoffs with a behind a bad offensive line, and I got this team to a Super Bowl and all of these things, why wouldn't he just ask for, instead of rolling guarantees, why wouldn't he just say, nope, I want a fully guaranteed contract? Yeah, I mean, he can and, and he probably will or, you know, at least we'll broach the subject or we'll say, if you're not going to give me that, then what are you going to give me, you know, as a concession in, instead of that? And so mm-hmm. what's interesting here is without trying to, you know, have a whole, you know, requiem on, on Mike Brown, but genuinely the issue for a lot of owners with this contract and Mike Brown is at the top of this list is that you have to put fully guaranteed money in future years into escrow. I'm sure you guys have seen this now. Everyone's talking about it now. But basically, before this Deshaun Watson contract, it, it would probably be the Aaron Rodgers deal, where there's $100 million fully guaranteed. So that means that the Packers had to put aside 75% of that you know, away. For Deshaun Watson, that's $157.5 million. Once you run through the whole – it's insane. And so that is completely unprecedented, and I do not think all 32 – not I don't think. 
All 32 NFL owners simply cannot do that. So if Burrow asked for it, Brown would be like, look, I can't afford to pay my, you know, keep the lights on in my house. If you want me to do that, I don't have the liquidity to make that happen. Um, so that, that I guess, is, is the counter to Burrow asking for that. I had a bit of a light bulb moment when I learned about the escrow rule, which was before the new CBA, probably three years ago. I was like, oh, they just don't have money. They just don't have cash. Like they can afford to play, pay the players when the shared revenue comes out and the TV revenue comes and the, the ticket revenue starts coming in and, and they can pay their weekly checks and they can hit all their expenses. But when it comes to big guarantees, well, they're either acting like they're cash poor or they are cash poor compared to other NFL franchises. I think that will be very, very interesting to see because the topic of the extension with Joe Burrow comes up next year. And historically, when you look at the Bengals, the last five years or so, they're spending cash up to the cap or over the cap for, for the most part, which is pretty typical. This year, you look at it, they're at about $178 million in cash spend so far, well below the unadjusted $208 million salary cap. I keep telling our listeners, well, you know, I expect they're going to spend more of that money. The rookies obviously make up some of this. Pack practice squad makes up some of this. Off-season workouts make up some of it. And But even adjusting for all those things, they're coming in way below prior years. For, from your perspective, knowing how they do business, is this something that you think is is earmarked for an extension? Do you think that they're and with minimum spending rules in place? I know those are average over multiple years. Is there more spending to to be expected for the team this year, or could this be the beginning of like, okay, we got to squirrel away twenty million here, twenty million there, to to put into escrow for this Burrow extension that's coming? I think you nailed it. No, I think it's the latter. I'm sure they're still they're not going to not make moves. You know, if a guy comes available random, but like if Stephon Gilmore wants to come to Cincinnati, they're not going to be like, well, we're trying to save up some cash for Joe Burrow next offseason. But in a general sense, I do, and I think that's not just the Bengals. I think the Patriots, they spent like crazy last offseason in free agency, have now done nothing in free agency. And I think it's because ignoring the cap, just from a cash flow perspective, the owners try to stagger these things. And, you know, the Bengals will give the big signing bonuses, but then obviously, you know, not have guaranteed money in, in terms of salary or roster bonuses and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it is a, a multifaceted approach where the team is budgeting several years out as they should be. And, and, and I think they do a good job for the most part. Two did things. See, Sorry. What, uh, did you see Steve Biscotti's comments today about Deshaun Watson's contract, the Ravens owner? Like, I'm not sure he should have been the first guy to do it, but this is going to make it hard on a lot of teams. And it's, 100%. you know, some, some 4D chess there from the Browns, perhaps. Like, oh, we don't want Joe Burrow signing an extension in Cincinnati. Let's just fully guarantee this contract because we can. Sorry, James, go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Two things. One, just. And I know you weren't saying this, Brad, but I want our listeners to to make sure you're not reporting that the Bengals are interested in Stephon Gilmore, correct? No, no, no. I wish I, <laughs> I wish I could break that on, on the pod. <laughs> well, there's uh, there's so much Gilmore smoke in Bengals in Bengaldom right now. I just I on Bengals I knew Facebook. You oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nowhere legit, but it's like ah, oh, Gilmore, man. Um, s- second thing, what about this? Because Jamar Chase has played one year. He's the fifth overall pick. He's under contract for three more years, team control for four more years. Couldn't they just spread it out a bit and just wait on the Chase deal, do Higgins next offseason in, in Burrow, and, and then do Chase, say, you know, maybe after the, that fourth year when the fifth-year option is up? Like, is there a benefit to doing it that way versus the, the moment we can extend Chase, we're going to extend him after three seasons? 
Uh, how would you view that? Because I'm sure there's some strategy and they're going to have to figure out a way to piece it together if they are going to keep the trio together. 100%. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that T. Higgins really is the first guy that, based on the standard timeline, is probably the first one that's up for a new deal because he's not a first-round pick, so he'll be extension eligible after next season. But unlike a Joe Burrow, as you mentioned with the fifth-year option, his final year of control will be in that fourth season. Um, obviously, they're, they're, they're probably going to want to get the quarterback done as early as possible. And the argument there, of course, is just the market's always going to go up at quarterback, so you might as well do it. Then again, obviously, two teams in the division did not do that in Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson. They probably feel smart for not doing that. But yeah, I mean, I think you do definitely, teams definitely look at it that way. Say, can we stagger these things? Can we spread it out? So there's a two-year gap between these massive contracts. Um, you know, I, I think if you're Jamar Chase, you definitely want it after the third year. But look, you mentioned DJ Moore at the top of the show. He just played in his fourth season, now gets the extension before the fifth-year option. Mike Williams just played on the fifth-year option. Like, you definitely can go that route with Jamar Chase. I mean, I guess the same argument could be made of, well, the market's going to keep growing, but that's not really an issue with Jamar Chase. I mean, he's going to be – we already know as after one year, it's going to be top of market. So how, how much worse could it get? Could get much worse, I think, because the cap is continuing to grow. I keep waiting for the $300 million cap in a couple of years here because just extrapolating from the new TV deal, it's going to get there. It's just a matter of when if they try to gradually build up. Coming up next, we'll talk about the way the Bengals structure their deals and continue that conversation as we look ahead to some of these contracts and reflect on how the Bengals try to stay competitive and, and build a dynastic roster around Joe Burrow and we'll get Brad's opinion on some of those matters to finish the show but first a word from rockauto.com there's nothing worse than having unreliable transportation other than maybe having an unreliable offensive line and that's why you need to get to rockauto.com because you're going to save money on the same car parts that you're going to get from car dealers the same parts that you're going to get uh from the big box stores for less. You're going to get those same quality parts. Whether you drive a Honda, Toyota, Mercedes-Benz like Jake, it doesn't matter. You're going to be able to find the parts you're looking for. And why spend 30, 50, even 100% more when you can save money right now and shop from the comfort of your own home at rockauto.com. They're a family business. They've been in business for more than two decades. And you should check them out right now at rockauto.com to see all the parts available for your car or truck. And be sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life, homechef.com slash locked on. Must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Brad, before we talk about 
team building strategies and cap management strategies. Let's talk about the Bengals' current cap space. It's somewhere around $18 million or so. I don't know if that includes the Stanley Morgan deal or not. My own tracking, which accounts for rookie deals and the practice squad and all these things that I think the Bengals also account for suggests that they're closer to around $11 million in effective cap space at this point. Should we expect some more cap spend from the Bengals this year from their history, in your opinion, or are they going to roll all that over? I think they'll probably make maybe one or two other moves, small moves, maybe like a, like a depth cornerback addition or something like that. Um, but I do think they're going to want to carry over. So again, um, you know, this is more of a cap than a cash thing, but they're going to want to carry over as much as possible because because of the way they structured things where a lot of the the money hits the first year, you're going to want as much cap space as possible in 2023. All right, let's dive into dynasty building. A lot of fans of the Cincinnati Bengals <laughs> are wondering, you know, why aren't they just restructuring Trey Hendrickson so they can sign Stefan Gilmore? Why Why not just get that extra guy? And, and show that, you know, they're really going for it. Meanwhile, there's another school of thought that is, well, they just signed three starting caliber offensive linemen for the price of one and a half. If, if you look at some of the top of market guys, maybe one and a quarter, if you look at the top of market guys. And they brought in some role players and Eli Apple and Hayden Hurst, and they retained BJ Hill and their top priority in Jesse Bates. And maybe the way they do things, without relying on year-to-year restructures and whatnot is is better for the long term. Maybe going all in is actually bad. And it's not like we have a ton of examples of long-term dynasties in NFL history. They're mostly limited to Tom Brady's Patriots. But from your perspective, Brad, is there something that's inherently better or worse? And maybe that's where we start before we talk about advantages and disadvantages to both approaches. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, as long as you have a consistent approach to how you manage the salary cap, I think you can get away with whatever method you want to. But this is a, you know, a conversation we have every single offseason with the New Orleans Saints, where can they do enough to become cap compliant? Yes, they're always, I mean, of course, otherwise they wouldn't do it. But but can they create so much room they can, you know, be active in free agency and, you know, do what they want to do and, and take care of all their guys and keep a guy like a Trey Hendrickson? Like, maybe not. I'm not suggesting they wanted to and couldn't keep him, but there there comes a time where if you're continually kicking the can down the road and always pushing your obligations into the future, it might bite you. And it did happen to the Saints when they went seven and nine, three years in a row in the middle of Drew Brees' kind of his prime because they were doing the same cap shenanigans back in the day. And, and it kind of caught up to him. They, Jairus Bird was counting like $10 million against their cap when he wasn't on the team, like 2014. Uh, that's probably, those numbers are all probably wrong. But like, there's all these kind of, you know, so if you're consistent and patient and don't do that, you don't have the potential downside risk of a bunch of bloated contracts on players that are not that good anymore. Or maybe you, you don't feel like you can cut a guy because there's too much dead cap associated with that cut and you might as well keep him and then he's not good and all these things and so on and so forth. So long answer short, you can do whatever you want, but the way the Bengals do it, it presents future potential risks down the road. And what, what, because everything that comes up or what usually comes up is the guaranteed money and all of those things. And your talks around the league, because here's what the Bengals would say. I know it. It hasn't prevented us from getting Trey Hendrickson. It hasn't prevented us from getting, you know, Alex Kappa. We were able to get the deal done for Lyle Collins. So 
how do you think the league, how do you think agents in general view the idea of the Bengals when the Bengals call, knowing that, yeah, they're, they're not going to guarantee half of that deal. And, you know, you, you might have this big prize free agent, but, you, you know, they're in the market of, of how they structure contracts. Do you think that hurts them, impacts them, or, or, or how do you think the league views it? So it impacts structure. And again, this happens, I guess we maybe talk about this pre-show, but the Packers and Steelers deal with the same issue. So it's not just Bengal specific, but what it does is those agents and players are going to want, are going to need cash sooner. They want earlier cash flows because if you're not going to guarantee later money, then they need to get, you know, be compensated that for in, in some way. So, you know, Hendrickson, a perfect example. He has the roster bonuses in each of the first two years of his deal for $6 million. That is because... He, he's not getting guarantees in his second year salary or something like that. So instead of getting paid throughout the year on a non-guaranteed big salary, he's like, I want $6 million in cash on some date in March before, you know, I'm off on a beach in Cabo and I'm getting a nice chunk of cash because that is my, you know, how I reconcile the risk of you not guaranteeing my deal. And so that's how it impacts it is the way the money is paid, the way the structure plays out. They need more upfront money. Because, you know, if you're the Saints, it's like, oh, well, if you're going to guarantee money in the, you know, the third year or whatever, then I don't care if I have a minimum salary the first couple of years or whatever, because I know I'm getting that money at some point. With Cincinnati, there's no guarantee, literally. Um, and so that's why the structure is impacted the way it is. And it used to be that the Bengals would say, well, you know, we don't cut guys. But this is maybe the the most dead cap money they've had from cut players in my memory with five million of those roughly $10 million in dead cap hits from Trey Wayne's deal, cutting him in the last year of his contract. And one thing I've been critical of is instead of doing that year one roster bonus, which they like to do to front load the cap hit, just prorate it because the cap is going up. Just put it in the signing bonus and then you can fit in one more free agent every year. And it's not going to catch up to you that hard because $6 million prorated over four years is only another what one and a half million dollars of of dead cap hit if they do have to cut him in the future maybe three million if, if things go really south so that is one criticism that i think i still have of the way the team does business but if you're running the bengals knowing the or approximating perhaps the cash flow issues that they may or may not have with the club being their primary to sole source of income how would you go about doing things for the next couple of years to try to build the most competitive and long lasting team around Joe Burrow as you could. Yeah. So it's interesting because I'm not even sure if it's a cash flow issue with the Glazers in, the, in Tampa Bay. I mean, they own like Manchester United and a bunch of other things. So I don't think that's an issue for them, but they were actually the biggest, they, they didn't even put signing bonuses in contracts. There was literally zero proration if possible for them um, on their books. And, and so what it enabled them to do is they've now pivoted to the extreme of the opposite degree and because they were so patient and paid year to year and never pushed money down the line, they're now eating up all that future year cap space that was available to them because they never dipped into those waters. So if I'm Cincinnati and things continue to go how they're going, let's say again next year before you pay Burrow, they're a you know playoff contender, make a run in the playoffs. You have to be willing to do a little bit of that like you're talking about. Maybe shifting some first-year roster bonus into signing bonus or maybe – 
you know, restructuring a couple contracts for guys that you do want to keep, guys that you're saying, again, you trust will be there. You're, it's not drastic. It, like you said, maybe an extra $3 million if a deal goes south, um, you know, in, in that particular example, they're going to have to be willing to explore that at least to a small degree. Otherwise, then you could probably make the argument like that there may be, you know, they're not wasting a window, but they're not maximizing a window. How big do you think those windows are in the NFL? Because to me, it's people keep thinking, oh, be Tom Brady, right? Yeah, they're they're a year or two. They're a year here and there. They're cyclical. They're a roller coaster. So I think I'm on the same page with you there. But if you get lucky and you find this generation's Tom Brady, who Joe Burrow, no doubt, models a lot of his approach to the game if not play style because there are obviously differences there after well then then maybe you can do things look at the patriots history for for some clues brad really appreciate the time and insight into some of the cap and cash matters facing the bengals or recently having faced the bengals and do you have any work that we should know about coming soon over at pff uh, always something coming out. I guess it's draft season now, so I'm taking a back seat. But uh, I, again, I do appreciate you shouting out the uh, the free agency stuff a lot. We we put a lot of work into those, so still free agents have to be signed. So if you if you Bengals fans want to check out who else is out there, we continuously update the the hundred best remaining free agents. Uh, so check that out. Awesome stuff from Brad. And and if you followed along in our free agency spreadsheet, all of the contract estimates came from this man. And. They're, they're a big part of our off-season exercise in terms of doing our free agency simulations and that sort of thing on the show. So we're glad we've had the opportunity to have the guy behind the numbers on the show. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We're back, as always, tomorrow with more Bengals off-season content as the march to the draft continues. Until then, Bengals fans, day and have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.